Well, good morning, Center Church. How are you, how are you doing this morning? Awesome. We good? Happy unofficial start to spring. Is anybody else excited that it's just around the corner? 64 degrees on Thursday is what the forecast is saying. That's reason to celebrate. Well, my name is, is Brad. I'm one of the pastors at uh, this network of churches. Um, I'm actually a pastor up at uh, Frontline, which is our sister church here. So I'm not the normal guy here. And so if I haven't met you, I would love the chance to just be able to meet you this morning. Um, John, who's normally here, is traveling this weekend with his wife, Lindsay, and so I'm filling in uh, this morning. But uh, I'm excited for where we're going this morning, and I want to just start by sharing a story with you. I want to take you back to 2005. I was a junior in high school, and I had my eye on a dream job as a junior in high school. I had my eye on this job so much that I applied for it several times. I kept getting denied, kept getting denied. And finally, after months and months of applying, I finally got hired as a dishwasher at Panera Bread. Any other Panera fans in here? No, a couple. We have like two. There's nowhere else where you can get a $12 bagel and a thousand calorie bowl of soup. It's amazing. It's the best place ever. And I loved that job. I loved it so much that my coworkers gave me a nickname, Panera Brad is what they called me. And so I worked really hard at that job. And eventually I got promoted to a trainer and then a shift supervisor and then eventually into management. So as like this 18-year-old kid as a manager, I remember walking into my first day of training. And on the outside, I was like, I was really prideful. I was a little bit arrogant. Like I walked in with my, my chest puffed up. But inwardly, if I'm being honest, I was terrified. I mean, I had been given this responsibility, this, this million-dollar investment they like to remind me in this cafe to run. And I remember thinking like, what if I mess this up? What if I fail? What if I'm completely inadequate at doing this? I mean, I'm, I'm balancing and, and managing all these different employees and their schedules and their training and all of this stuff. And I remember just feeling so inadequate as a young kid in that moment. And I wonder how many of us have ever been terrified by our own inadequacy? Has your own inadequacy ever terrified you before? Like maybe as a new parent, you, you have this, this little baby boy or this little baby girl and you bring them home from the hospital and they feel so fragile and you're like, am I going to break this thing? Like, am I, am I going to be a good parent? Am I adequate to do this? Maybe, maybe for you, you've had a failed marriage and so you're, you're getting remarried, you're entering into this again and, and you're feeling those, those feelings of inadequacy. Like, do I have what it takes to have a successful marriage? Maybe for you it's a new job, or if you're a student, a new school or a new school year, and you walk in and you don't know anybody and you're asking this question, am I adequate? Do I have what it takes? Am I enough? I think in one season or another, every single one of us has probably wrestled with this question in some way in our lives. And the thing I want to wrestle with today as we kind of dive into the scripture together is how do we overcome feelings of inadequacy? We all experience it. We all walk through it in different ways. How do we overcome that? How do we walk through that? So if you were with us last week, you know that during this Lent season leading into Easter, we're in a series right now called This Is Us. And John did a brilliant job last week of talking about Abraham, but each week we're going to be talking through a different character in the Old Testament and learning how we can find ourselves in the story. And so the character that we're looking out at today is, is obviously Moses, 
And we're going to look at how inadequacy played a role in Moses' life and how God actually used that and how Moses overcame that. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, verse 4 through 10. And as you're turning there, the words are going to be on the screen as well. As you're turning there, um, Moses is having an encounter with God right now. He's at a burning bush, and I've preached on this encounter with God in the past here at Center, but we're going to go beyond that, and we're going to talk about the conversation that Moses and God have with each other at the burning bush. And so chapter 3, verse 4, it says this, When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue, you from, to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, not parasites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I want to read that last verse one more time. So, now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Put yourself in Moses' shoes, or lack of shoes in this moment, because he's on holy ground. Put yourself in his spot for a minute here. You've lived your entire life. You're 80 years old at this point. You've lived two-thirds of your life. You're not a young guy at this point. You, you lived in Egypt, you were raised as royalty in Egypt, and then you run away as a fugitive because you, you killed an Egyptian, and you find yourself a stranger in Midian, and you become a shepherd, and you've lived your whole life, and now all of a sudden God is calling you to go back to the place that you left, to go back to the place that you fled from. But not only that, think about who Egypt and what Egypt represented for Moses. I mean, Egypt was powerful. Egypt had armies, and they had uh, this huge, huge network of slaves. Egypt was powerful. And, and Moses, if, if I'm in Moses' place right now, I would be absolutely terrified. Those feelings, those feelings of inadequacy, those feelings of, I don't have what it takes, man, those would be rushing through me right now. And that's exactly how Moses responds to God. Moses responds to God five different times. And he's like, God, you got the wrong guy. The first thing Moses says is this, who am I to go? Who am I to go to the Egyptians? The second thing Moses says to God is, okay, if I go, who, who should I say sent me? Like, let's just say I do go, God. Let's say I do follow you. Let's say I do obey. Who should I say sent me? And then Moses goes into this whole thing about, they're not going to believe me if I go. Like, if I go and, and talk to the Egyptians and talk to the Israelites, they're not going to believe that it was you who sent me. And then after that, he says, but I stutter. 
I'm not good with words. I'm slow of tongue and speech. I mean, over and over. And then finally at the end in chapter four, Moses is just like, God, send anyone else. Please don't send me. I mean, Moses, Moses knows what it's like to experience inadequacy. Moses knows what it's like to feel like he's not sufficient, like he's not enough. There's a, there's a psychological phenomenon right now that um, a lot of people like my age are talking about on Instagram. And <laughs> when I first heard about it, I thought it was just like this fake made up millennial kind of like trigger disease type thing. Uh, but it's actually well studied and a lot of different people from a lot of different generations experience this. And it's called imposter syndrome. And I don't know if you've heard of this or not, but it's an actual treatable psychological disorder. And basically what imposter syndrome is it's just this idea that I don't belong, that the stuff that I've done, the stuff that I've earned isn't from anything that I am capable of. And I'll just read this here. Imposter syndrome is often described as feeling like a fraud. It's a lack of confidence, self-esteem. People with imposter syndrome have a hard time accepting compliments. They don't internalize their own successes and they feel like frauds or failures, even though they have a string of accomplishments. The fundamental fear of imposter syndrome is of being discovered or unmasked as a fake, someone who really doesn't belong here. So what happens is because of this, people don't negotiate salaries for themselves. They don't share their opinions. They don't take good calculated risks. It kind of paralyzes them. It's again, this fear of inadequacy. Moses, Moses has lived an entire life of feeling like he doesn't belong. He was saved from an infant genocide as, as a baby. He shouldn't have even had a life to begin with. He's an outsider, a Hebrew raised in an Egyptian palace. Once he flees from Egypt, he's in a foreign land where he doesn't belong. I mean, Moses over and over and over again experiences inadequacy, feelings of not belonging, of not being a part of what's going on. Moses has imposter syndrome and God meets him directly in that fear. He meets him directly in his feelings of inadequacy. See, I've gone through all of the things that Moses has said. I've gone through all of the things that Moses has processed through and worked through his insecurity, his inadequacy. But what I haven't talked about yet is how God responds to each and every one of these things that Moses brings up to him. Each and every one of them. You see, there's one way that we can overcome inadequacy. One way. And it's a move of God in our lives. It's God moving into those spaces. It's God moving into those places. And us, just like John talked about last week, surrendering ourselves to him so that he can move into those places and do the miraculous through us. If you look at the way God moves in this passage, the very first thing that God does is God sees. God sees. He sees the affliction of his people in Egypt. He sees their oppression. He hears their cries for help. God sees the hurting people in this story. The second thing that God does is it says he came down. He's coming down to rescue his people from Egypt. God moves. He moves on behalf of people who are suffering, who are hurting, who are broken. The next thing that God does is he invites. He invites Moses into this movement. Do you think God really needed Moses to be able to free the Israelites from Egypt? No, he didn't. He chose Moses. 
He invited Moses into his bigger story that he was writing. And then finally, and the most important thing that God does for Moses here is he provides. He equips Moses with every single thing that he needs. You see, for every petition, every pushback that Moses gives to God, God offers a provision for Moses. Like, like in the text here, it says this, that when Moses says, I don't want to go, God says, I'll be with you. When Moses says, they're not going to believe me, God says, I'm going to give you signs and wonders so that all of Egypt will see my power. He has Moses throw his staff on the ground, it becomes a serpent. He has Moses put his hand in his cloak to reveal leprosy and then get healed again. Immediately, God shows him, I am giving you signs and wonders. I'm going to provide for you, Moses. Then Moses says, but I stutter, but I'm not good with words. I'm inadequate in that area. And God says, who made your mouth, Moses? I'm going to be your mouthpiece. I will speak through you. And then at the end when Moses says, please, God, send anybody else, God says, Aaron is coming with you. You're not alone. Over and over and over again, God provides for Moses' inadequacies because if God is calling him to it, he's going to equip him. He's going to see him through it. He's going to be with him every single step of the way. For every single weakness that Moses gives, God offers a provision over and over and over again. See, when Moses asks God, who should I say sent me? God kind of offers an interesting response to Moses. He says, tell them I am that I am. I am who I am. And this is a, a really loaded Hebrew phrase. And there's a lot of scholars that have kind of disagreed as to what God is saying in this moment when he says, I am who I am. But what most scholars agree God is saying here is, I am perfectly sufficient. I am he that is and was and is to come. When God says to Moses, I am who I am, he is telling Moses, I am enough for you. I will do what I will do. And I am inviting you into that. There's a there's an interesting Hebrew thought on the name of God, and, and you may have heard this before, but, but when God reveals his name, I am, to Moses, he's revealing the name Yahweh to Moses. I don't know if any of you have heard that. Anytime in your English Bible you see the words, uh, the letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the word Lord, that's the name Yahweh. It's the Hebrew name for God. And that name is entirely Hebrew vowels. It's four vowels, yod He vah and it's interesting because some have argued that the actual name of God, those, those breathy sounding vowels, because there's no consonants, that when we breathe, we're actually speaking the name of God every single moment. Yod, hey, va, hey, Yahweh. And so when a baby is born, the very first thing that they do is they're speaking the sufficiency of God in their life. When somebody dies and they pass away, the very last thing they do, the very last breath, could it be that they're speaking the perfect sufficiency of God in their lives? Through every feeling of inadequacy, through every feeling of failure, and feeling like you're not enough, could it be that without even thinking about it, yod, hey, va, hey, you are speaking the sufficiency the adequacy of God in your life, even when you're not feeling like it. 
It's no wonder that God meets Moses in his moment of weakness. It's no wonder that God meets Moses in his feeling of inadequacy. And this is us. This is where we find ourselves in Moses' story because God does the same thing for us today. He meets us in our inadequacy. He meets us in the feelings where we are not enough. He does the same for you. If you write one thing down today, write this. Don't miss this. That where I say I'm not, God says, oh, but I am. Where I say I'm not enough. Where I say I'm not adequate, God says, oh, but my son, my daughter, I am enough for you. I am sufficient for you. I think we all have a I'm not enough statement. What is it for you? I'm not blank enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not relevant enough. I'm not well-spoken enough. I'm not educated enough. What is it for you? I'm not patient enough. I'm not kind enough. We all have a statement of I'm not enough. What is it for you? And I want to encourage you this morning that in that moment, in those moments of insufficiency, in those moments of inadequacy, God says, my son, my daughter, I am sufficient. I am enough for you. Is it the scale? Is it your bank account? Is it the number of followers or likes you have on social media? Where is it for you where you feel inadequate? The beauty of this story is that it points us directly to the person of Jesus. Because in in Exodus 3 where it says God sees and God moves and God invites and God provides, God is still doing each of those things in the world today. God still sees. For the Israelites, their oppressor was Egypt, but we share a far greater oppressor than Egypt. That's sin and that's shame and that's death that we experience today. God still sees that. He still sees and hears the cries of people oppressed by their sin and their shame, and he still moves into those places. This is the person of Jesus. This is the gospel where he comes in while we were still sinners, and he moves into those places. And then he calls and invites us into that story. He invites us into the story of being able to be part of his redemptive rescue and work with the world. And then most importantly, he provides. He's with us every single step of the way. We're not alone in this calling to see people like God does. I love that Blake talked about 2 Corinthians 12 earlier earlier today because I think the Apostle Paul really understands this. I mean, Paul, if there's anybody in Scripture, Paul knew what failure was like. I mean, the guy was in prison, the guy was beat up, the guy was constantly persecuted. I mean, if there's anybody who had a right to feel inadequate as he was ministering, I mean, Paul was it. He had a rough go at it. And he writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, if you want to put that that verse up there, Rue, it says this, but he said to me, this is Jesus saying this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Could it be that God is using your inadequacy, your weakness, the areas where you are insecure, to point to his glory, to point to his strength, to point people to the person of Jesus? You see, over and over again, God uses inadequate people through his to point to his story. God doesn't often use inadequate people. God always uses inadequate people. It is his MO. It is the way he operates because it is the way that he receives and experiences the most glory through us. And so next time you find yourself saying, I'm not enough. Next time you find yourself saying, I don't have what it takes. Know in those moments that God is enough. That your only job, your only role is not to be the most skilled or the most talented or the most educated. Your job is to be the most surrendered. Your job is to be the most open to what God may want to do in you and through you for his purposes in the world. This is how we see ourselves in Moses' story is that God uses inadequate, incapable people for his purposes so that his glory will shine through. Every year, uh, we have the opportunity to take a group of students to never the same camp. And if you're a student in here, you need to go with us this summer. This is my shameless plug for camp. It will be the best week of your summer. It will change your life. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, But never the same camp is this really incredible experience. And I've gone for about nine times now. And I have seen God move in such powerful ways. Well, a couple years ago, we brought some deaf students with us at Frontline. And uh, this was kind of a new experience for camp, a new experience for us, but we brought some interpreters with us. And these interpreters' job, obviously, was to help give access to these deaf students as they experience camp. And one of the interpreters that came with us was deaf herself. And her role was to kind of help be a a presence with these kids and help them just kind of feel comfortable and, and known there. But this interpreter wasn't a Christian. She didn't know Jesus. But as the experience of camp kind of progressed on, uh, she started asking questions. She started wondering, like, who is God in my life? You see, her whole life, she had been told by family members and people in her community that God was punishing her by making her deaf, that God didn't love her, that God was distant from her. But that week at camp, she heard a different story about her life. She had been told over and over and over was an inadequacy from interpreters and students and the speakers at camp. She heard a different story. That God actually wanted to move into those places. That God wanted to invite her into his story. And as she began asking questions, I remember sitting down with her one afternoon of camp. We started digging through all of these different like theological questions and wrestling with these different things. And eventually, by the end of it, she ended up putting her faith and her trust in Jesus. And the reason I share that story with you is because I had an opportunity to lead her in that. But let me tell you this, like, there has never been a time where I've shared the gospel with somebody and felt so inadequate at doing it. I mean, I didn't speak the same language that she did. I didn't know her culture or her experiences. But it was so clear for Lisa that God saw her. That God saw her in a way that the world did not. 
and that God was moving towards her in that week of camp. And that even despite my inadequacy, even despite my inabilities, I mean, this was literally probably the, the messiest evangelism you've, you've ever seen in your entire life. God spoke in that moment. He moved in that moment. And what he is looking for is not people that are the most skilled, but people that are the most willing, the most surrendered, the most desiring to see people the way that he does. To move into those places exactly like he does. My friends, that's the call of the gospel. And so as we go today, as we find ourselves in Moses' story, may we first and foremost see people the way that God sees them. May we pray to him every single day that we'll see people how he sees them. Secondly, may we move towards them. Not just away from them, but towards them. Towards the lost and the hurting and the overlooked people in our lives. Third, may we acknowledge our inadequacies. May we lay our weaknesses before God every single day and say, God, use these. Move through these. Don't let these be a barrier for me being used by you. Let's pray together. God, where we are weak, you are enough. God, I pray for people in this room this morning, maybe who might be struggling through a marriage situation right now, might be struggling through financial difficulties, or even might be struggling with how to share their faith with other people, how to show your love to other people. God, may you move into those spaces. May we recognize that we are inadequate. That is not a barrier for us to be used by you. God, may you move mightily through people in this room who acknowledge that their weaknesses are not barriers, but they are opportunities to be used by you in powerful ways. Jesus, we love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. And everyone said, Amen.